0: welcome to the history of california podcast i'm your host jordan maddox today we have an interview with colin perry about the new exhibit at the nevada museum of art called end of the range charlotte skinner in the eastern sierra charlotte b skinner was an artist and educator living in the eastern sierra of california from 1905 to 1933 skinner counted herself among the artistic circles of renowned photographers and artists of the west her home became a retreat and a site for inspiration for these artists and others who are passing through the Owens Valley seeking new subject matter and like-minded creatives. This exhibition features original paintings and drawings of the Eastern Sierra by Charlotte B. Skinner. Colin Perry is the curatorial assistant at the Nevada Museum of Art where he has worked since 2022. Previously, he worked at museums and art organizations on both coasts. He received a Bachelor's of Art History and Photography and a Master's in Art Education from Lesley University. As a museum professional, Colin is interested in exploring mindfulness-based stress reduction in museums and gallery settings. Colin's recent research includes exploring queer semiotics in the 1970s Castro district, as well as Native American basket weaving practices in California. I know you're gonna love this conversation and hopefully it will inspire you to visit the Nevada Museum of Art to check out this exhibit. Let's meet Colin and get started. today we're going to be talking about an artist named Charlotte Skinner. We'll start by just talking about where she comes from. Who were her parents and where did she grow up?
1: Charlotte Butler was born in 1879 in San Francisco. Her mother was Antonia Vollmer and her father was Bernard Butler. And she, he was, we don't know a whole lot about her family and her background, kind of her younger years. We do know uh, that her father was going to be an actor and was an actor and that she was raised by uh, her general family. So her, her, she had uh, two aunts and an uncle and a grandmother. And so it was kind of a whole family um, that raised her. And she had two brothers, Charles uh, and Joseph. And so they all lived in San Francisco. That's where she grew up. And then she was very involved in the arts from a young age. Her, she was brought to Arthur Matthews' studio as a young girl, and she would take classes with him in his studio. And then eventually she enrolled in the Mark Hopkins Art Institute and was taking classes with Robert Aiken and Gotardo Piazzoni. And she was studying landscape painting and drawing. And this was all around kind of the late 1890s. And then 1901 is really where she's at Mark Hopkins. And that's when she's really involved in art and art making. She meets artists there who are really present throughout her entire life that we'll see even when she moves out of San Francisco. Mm. But it's there that she meets her husband, uh, William Lyle Skinner, also known as Bill. And he was a mining engineer. By, by education, but also was there in San Francisco studying with, to be a sculptor in sculpting with Arthur Putnam and uh, Arthur Putnam and Gotardo Piazzoni. And so he's meeting artists. She's meeting artists and it's this really cool thing where these artist connections that they have in San Francisco really last their entire lives, even after they move. Um, but so they end up meeting, uh, or Charlotte uh, is in, at Mark Hopkins with Ralph Stackpole, who becomes a really well-known sculptor in California in the mid-century. Rinaldo Cunio, who uh, again is a really well-known painter, he has a mural in Coit Tower in San Francisco. Otis Oldfield um, and Maynard Dixon um, are kind of this group of artists who are all uh, working um, and exhibiting together in San Francisco in the early 1900s. Um, and so uh, Charlotte and Bill marry in, in 1905, and then very shortly after they moved to Lone Pine, California, which is where uh, Bill is from and his whole family. Uh, and, and the Skinner family is really well known in Lone Pine, in the Owens Valley, up until Bill's father, Joseph, kind of the patriarch of the family, moved there in eighteen the 1880. And is him and his brother are bringing coal from mines in Darwin, Virginia City, and Silver City, and Carson, and Reno, all back and forth in supplies. And so she marries into this family. They move back to Lone Pine. And it, Lone Pine is this incredibly rural, remote community. It's on, if you're going down towards LA, it's on the way. And so she moves there and she goes from this kind of incredibly robust area, San Francisco artists are working, it's very industrial um, to farms and mining. And that's really where she immerses herself in her art making practice. And that's where um, the exhibition that we'll be having, that's where a lot of her work comes from is her time in Lone Pine. So she lives there from 1905 uh, to about 1933 and uh, she's making work, uh, she's exhibiting this entire time, and all it's very exciting because a lot of the artists who are coming to visit, or that she met in San Francisco in, during her education still come out in, from San Francisco to visit her in Lone Pine. Um, so we have lots of work by Maynard Dixon who uh, comes out for years, um, and he's bringing his wife at the time, Dorothea Lange, um, and they're photographing and painting the Skinner family. Um, And so there's a, a whole portrait made by Maynard Dixon of the Skinners, as well as portraits made by Dorothea Lange. Their friends, Roy Partridge and Imogene Cunningham, where Ray Partridge is a really well-known etcher and professor at Mills College. And Imogene Cunningham was a member of the F-64 group of photography. And so they're coming out and they're making work in Lone Pine. And so it becomes this journey voyage for all of the artists who are working and exhibiting and teaching in San Francisco. When they want to escape the city, they'll come out to Lone Pine and stay with Charlotte and her family and make work and kind of relax and, and find new inspiration out there. And then they'll go back to the city and exhibit all of this work that they're making.
0: And Um, do you attribute that to kind of, it wasn't an intentional thing for her to kind of create an artist retreat or was it something that just was the gravity and force of her personality that drew people to her?
1: Oh, I, um, uh, I would say it definitely was her personality. I think she went out there and I think she loved the Owens Valley, her artwork. It's evident in that, that she, Her artwork is an homage to um, Lone Pine and the Owens Valley and her life there. And I think that she had those connections and those friendships and those lasted and people wanted to come and see her. And she said, I'm here. This is wonderful. I'm making art. Come visit and come make art and you can relax and how how amazing it is and how different it is than San Francisco.
0: Mm. Yeah. Wonderful. And then what precipitated her move to Morro Bay?
1: Sure. So in, it's a really great question because it's a whole history of the family, the Skinner family, as well as what's going on with Los Angeles and the Los Angeles aqueduct and water rights in Lone Pine. But so to give a little context, the Skinner family has been in Lone Pine for generation at this point. They are really well known They're doing all sorts of things. They own mines, they're architects, they're engineers, they own general goods stores. And they move around a a lot because of Los Angeles and the aqueduct and Los Angeles purchasing the water rights. So they end up buying this plot of land and end up selling it and then moving around and moving around. Um, But it ends up coming to a head in uh, 1930. 30, which is really when kind of things for the Skinner family and Charlotte and her husband Bill um, kind of come to a head where uh, he ends up running for state representative seats because of this water rights issue in, in Lone Pine and how the Lone Pine citizens are feeling mistreated. He does not win, but it ends up kind of being the catalyst to them moving out of Lone Pine to Eugene, Oregon for about a year. And she moves there, and they're like, "We're leaving. We're getting out." And then they go, but she's still exhibiting, doing all of this. So it kind of is this unfortunate um, habitation where they're like, "We can't do this anymore. We need to go." So they move to Eugene, and then for a very brief time. And I don't know what caused them to leave Eugene, but they end up moving to Morrow Bay, which is I do know a lot of some of her artist friends, uh, William Went and Cadwallader Washburn live in Morrow Bay. And so she's going out there maybe to stay with them, uh, but she deeply involves herself also in Morrow Bay for the last 20 plus years of her life um, and is exhibiting. She's making new work. She is very involved in the local arts community and art scene there um, and giving, you know, tours of her home and I remember reading in my research that her home there in Morrow Bay really becomes this little piece of lone pine in Morrow Bay where she collected uh, Panamint Shoshone baskets. And so she would decorate her entire home in Morrow Bay with baskets. And they had this lantern from a Virginia City mine hanging up. And um, they had burned in different insignias from the mines in the Owens Valley onto their door in Morrow Bay. So it, it really becomes this thing where Charlotte leaves and comes back, but she's always in Lone Pine and Owens Valley, no matter where she goes.
0: I love this story because a lot of people have misconceptions. They think of artists as these kind of solo practitioners all on their own. But the more you learn about art history is that people are always making in groups. And it seems like she gravitated to working with other people. Um, and that's what I took away from from reading about her.
1: Well, it's, it's really interesting that you mentioned that because in some ways she is, you know, she did move to this very remote rural community and she's living there by herself and she's really one of the only artists there. And it becomes those moments where the art, other artists, her friends do come and visit her, where you can see that she's really, I, I she's really working with them and in, alongside them and I think of there's a painting that she has made it's called the Inyos that will be in the exhibition and then there's also a, a painting of the same exact scene of the Inyo mountains made by Maynard Dixon and I remember seeing this and being like oh my gosh I've seen this before. And so it's this really great moment or Cadwallader Washburn, one of her artist friends, painted this wonderful scene of Mount Whitney that was from Charlotte Skinner's home. Like you'd walk right out of her front on her front porch and there's Mount Whitney and this is the scene. So it really becomes this wonderful moment for artists in Lone Pine and Charlotte.
0: So let's talk a little bit about history of landscape painting. Landscape painting obviously started, you know, in some ways, at least the tradition that we're talking about in Western Europe. The major one that I'm familiar with is the, you know, the Hudson River School. And how, what was the transition from that kind of period in the history of landscape painting in the United States to Western Americana style landscape painting?
1: I will say, I think Western American landscape painting is kind of its I think of like the gold rush in the mid eighteen hundreds and this influx of people of you know we're gonna move out west we're gonna you know strike gold and we're gonna become rich but also it's this what is this place we don't know what it is it's incredibly unfamiliar to so many people who are living on the east coast in the middle of the country and so like when I think of west paintings of the west and landscape paintings I initially think of Albert Bierstadt who's going out and making these wonderful huge landscape paintings of you know Yosemite Valley and they are you know sublime in their beauty and they're huge and awe-inspiring um uh, so that's what I think of is this kind of precursor to Charlotte Skinner where it's this is amazing come out here like this is something that we've never seen before And, and it's unfamiliar and scary in that way and and then you have artists who are then moving out there and, you know, they, that's kind of the mid 1800s. And um, by Charlotte's time, there are lots of artists who are working out there. And um, you have artists like Maynard Dixon, who's a little bit older than Charlotte, but very much one of her contemporaries and friends who would uh, stay with her. And um, he's deeply in kind of the vernacular of Western, Western painting with cowboys and kind of the, the saloons in the Old West. Mm-hmm. which is very exciting. One of the drawings that uh, Maynard Dixon gave to Charlotte and her husband is of this really wonderful saloon image from
0: you know, the early 1900s at that point. But. How would you fit her into the history of art in California within its geographical boundaries?
1: Ooh. I would say... Charlotte Skinner is really in this really wonderful place within the history of California art in that she's she's studied with all of these artists who are working in the late 1800s. Let me actually restart that over. I would say Charlotte's really working in kind of this history of late 1800s landscape painting, because that's where all of her artist teachers are from and how they've learned. And so that becomes the basis of her education her artistic education and background. But her friends that are working with her, her contemporaries in San Francisco are influencing her. And so you do end up seeing in a lot of her work, um, parts of modernism and impressionism and starting a conversation about abstraction and abstraction in landscape. Um, I think of uh, one of the journalists who reviewed one of the exhibitions that she was in compared her to Cezanne. And so uh, you see that abstraction happening in her work in this very like quick gestural brushstroke. And so that's, she's functioning within what's happening in California at the time and what's happening in the art world holistically. But I do think that I don't know of many other artists who are going on, choosing to go into um, a place where are living in a place for years where there are no other artists. There, there aren't isn't that kind of really strong artist connection, and really thriving, and making work that is uniquely her own. That um, is almost like a love letter to the place that she lives, and oh, she wants to preserve this place and wants to share it with others and give life to it.
0: Mm -hmm. Let's talk about colors. In a lot of her paintings, there's a really, feels like almost like a soft tone throughout and a lot of soft colors, really kind of luminescent kind of light that pervades the whole painting. Can you talk about what colors were important to her and how she thought about composition?
1: Sure. I, it's very interesting when I look at Charlotte's work because how she approach she how she approaches painting in different ways is very distinct and whether that's oil painting or watercolor or printmaking which we all have examples of it, it's all different in that she's using those mediums and those paints uh, to her advantage and so i think of there's uh, pasture lands owens valley which is this incredibly colorful landscape image where um, it's really sectioned off into blocks of land, which is incredibly helpful to think of distance, but she's really giving life to this place. And if anyone's ever been to kind of Owens Valley or driven through or seen other artists who are making work there, it can be sometimes very monochrome, very kind of bland desert looking, Mm -hmm. but she's really imbuing bright blues and greens and purples and reds into the land, into the mountainscape, into the the flowers and the trees that she sees in her land around her. Um, So it really becomes this, I don't want to say heightened, but it becomes this lively portrayal of the Owens Valley. Um,
0: Yeah, yeah. it kind of feels almost proto psychedelic in some ways where you just have all these like spots of color that just pop up and you just kind of because I know what you're describing which is when you drive through some of the kind of more arid parts of California the sun has the effect of just kind of creating this dull similar color across landscape but you don't get that with her you get all these pops but then you get these soft spaces too which contrast really with the desert being such a hard place
1: you're right and I, I really feel as I really feel that her work it really is this love letter to the Owens Valley and she's spending so much time there just painting everywhere um, that's around her and I think that that the work really only comes from that and really dedicating and dedicating that time and care to what is this place that I'm in what is it, do I see around me and giving that attention to, everything that she
0: sees. How would you contrast her art with uh, some of the art of similar landscapes by Maynard Dixon? What what would you say are some of the areas where they differ in how they see that landscape?
1: When I think of Maynard Dixon, his work, I would say that he really goes for big blocks of color and big blocks of area. and And that really is defining of him where I think that Charlotte gives more nuance to what she sees in the areas. And that's not a jab at Maynard Dixon. I just think that he's, she's Charlotte Skinner's painting in this one specific area and really giving life to, you know, this, her, her world around her. And I think that she's really dedicating her eye and time to Showing what this space looks like for her.
0: So let's t- let's talk about a few of her paintings. Some that have stuck out to me. Now, uh, can you talk about the use of color in her 1938 piece, Silence? That one yeah. really spoke to me most. For like first, when I when I was looking through her art and just the cool colors of the of the mountain and the ice and the snow.
1: Yeah. So Silence is this. It's a landscape of this mountain peak. And it's a nocturne image. So it was made at nighttime and everything is really monochrome in these blue hues. And so you have some kind of darker blues of the sky and then you have almost turquoise looking snow in certain areas. And I think this image is actually really uh, exciting on multiple levels. For one, making this, I think it's very unique in Charlotte's entire body of work. That uh, we don't have any other images of nighttime. Um, And I, I think you really see the silence of this place where there's no signs of life, there's no animals, there's just this open land with some rolling hills and some trees, very tiny trees off in the distance. But it's really this mountain. And it's, I just think of what that experience would be like for Charlotte to just be standing there in, you know, probably a 10 minute walk from her home, but out in kind of the Alabama Hills making this painting and there's no one around her. And she just, it's her and the nighttime and just what she might hear and what she might see and really how she breathes that into her images or yeah, especially and that's, that's
0: my feeling too, is when I'm hiking in the high Sierra and you get above kind of the tree line and so a lot of the birds and animals are gone and it's just still and quiet. And the air is so thin that you really have to breathe. And the only thing you're hearing is your own breath. And I, I think that silence is, we don't often get that silence in our lives. And I think it's oh. it's precious, which is what I took away from that painting. Let's talk about another one um, that was interesting. And uh, in her painting called Rocks, I guess, and it's, it's a doesn't have a... a A date on it where are we looking and why in that painting so
1: we are in the alabama hills which if you have ever been to the alabama hills it is the most otherworldly place Um, it is uh, these huge um, rock formations that are all made of kind of they look like they're made of smaller rocks that are all just kind of stacked on one another And they're huge, gigantic. And so we're seeing right now, Charlotte is in the Alabama Hills. And you can kind of, if you go there, you can literally walk through all of them. And there are kind of pathways that have just been made by time. And so we're seeing kind of these two rock formations that are in the immediate kind of Foreground or right in front of us, and then in the background we have the Sierra Nevada mountains, and which would have been like Mount Whitney, Mount Langley, Lone Pine, Mount L- uh, Lone Pine Peak, and so you can kind of see those mountains in the background. But this is something where Charlotte's home faced uh, the Sierra Nevada mountains in Mount Whitney, and the Alabama Hills um, would have been um, a ten-minute walk at most from her home uh, along the Whitney Portal Road. Um, And so this was something that was incredibly accessible to her right in her backyard. Um, And so she's, it's really this wonderful image. It's one of my favorites where um, it's bordering on, you know, this abstraction of what is, what am I looking at right now and really thinking about what's in front of me.
0: Mm. So we've talked about two of your favorites. What's one more that really speaks to you in her collection?
1: Oh, I would say I'm going to cheat a little bit and say it's um, this series of mining images. So Charlotte and her husband owned three mines in um, right outside of Lone Pine in Darwin, which is um, close by to Lone Pine. And Mm -hmm. um, her husband was a mining engineer. And so he would go out and work in the mines and they hired um, miners to work there. But she would also go out there and she would paint kind of these mining scenes. And so you have these structures, buildings that they would build for the miners to live in, and you know, sleep, cook, all of that. And so, and as well as kind of these kind of dug in areas where they've been mining and pathways to get up to the mines. And then you have these mountains in the background. And I think that's something that's incredibly unique to um, her work and the area. And in the time that you end up seeing you really would never see kind of this mining theories of mining images that show kind of really the industry of the time, but in a way that's about the land and caring for the land and how we use it and these
0: structures. So let's take a step back and think about her legacy. What would you say for generations to come is going to be the most distinguishing marker of her art?
1: I would say, I think there's twofold. I think that Charlotte is working to preserve what Lone Pine and the Owens Valley looked like in the early 1900s. And connected to that is the connection to water. And I think that's something that is incredibly evident now in 2023. Um, that we're seeing in terms of water and water use and water rights. But it was something that very shortly after her move to Lone Pine became this really high note topic in Lone Pine of the water rights in the aqueduct. And there are so many images that she's made of the Owens Valley uh, water in the river and the lake. And I, I think of one of the images, it's literally titled Rampant Owens River. And if you, it's this wonderful blue image, you see blue and green and this really um, lush landscape that if you were to go now to that same place, you would not see that. And I think that's something that's so inspiring and unfortunate about Charlotte's work is that it's this homage to a time of the past and something that's lost.
0: Mm. And on that note, what what do you believe... Charlotte Skinner has to say to us today through her art, particularly if we're thinking about the environmental movement and climate change and a lot of the things that we're reflecting on, water issues, fires in California, what would she she have to say to us?
1: I think through Charlotte's art, she always worked with what was around her and she always found joy in what was around her and inspiration in what was around her. And I think That's evident in her artwork, but I think if we were to ask her today, what does this all mean in 2023 today right now, I think that she would talk a lot about finding what's around you and spending time with that. And there's something around all of us that needs time and needs attention and needs care, whether that's water rights or whether that's education or whether that's art, whatever, I would say that she would say find what's around you and really dedicate yourself to it.
0: Yeah. And I think in a lot of ways, she kind of reminds me in her voice through her art, kind of similar thoughts to Ginny O'Dell, who's an artist that wrote some great books. And the one I'm thinking of is, is How to Do Nothing. And it's about being in the place you're in and having presence and having a sense of kind of locality uh, to where you are and appreciating the landscapes around you. And her words were kind of in my mind as I was looking at Uh, Skinner's Art. Let's talk a little bit about the exhibit. What do we expect to see at this exhibit?
1: Sure. So the exhibit will open in October of this year, 2023, and you will end up seeing a selection of paintings made by Charlotte during her time in Lone Pine. And that will take up about one, maybe two galleries. And then there also will be a selection of works made by her, and so that will include Maynard Dixon, Dorothea Lange, Otis Oldfield, William Wendt, Gotardo Piazzoni, Roy Partridge. And so to kind of give some perspective as to who was coming out there and who was making work and being inspired by the area. And then there also will be, Charlotte was an avid collector of Native American baskets. And so there will be a small selection of baskets that she collected in the exhibition.
0: And do you have suggestions for people on how to approach uh, Charlotte's art? We've talked a lot about kind of context and specific, but there might be certain ways and recommendations you have for people to get the best experience out of visiting this exhibit.
1: I think, I think Charlotte does a really great way of introducing people to the Owens Valley and her art. Um, and then she also goes in plays with people a bit in terms of her style and where she's pulling her influence and inspiration from. So I think leaning into kind of those, let me restart that, let me, I think leaning into those paintings and moments that are more familiar and then embracing those moments that might be a little bit more unfamiliar to us.
0: Wonderful. Last question, which is book recommendations. What are a few books that you'd recommend to the audience if they're interested in topics like these?
1: Sure. Or I, 10 out of 10, would recommend The Land of Little Rain by Mary Austin. Mary Austin lived in Lone Pine as well as Independence, which is the town just north of Lone Pine. This is a little bit before Charlotte, about 10 years. But I would say that those are all stories um, in that book that really give life to the Owens Valley in a different way than Charlotte does. Um, So The Land of Little Rain. There's a wonderful um, anthology publication that came out in the 80s and 90s called The Album, The Times and Tales of Inyo County that I used for my research. And that is all different stories from across Owens Valley that uh, locals submitted and hearing from whether that's, you know, they're older and telling their own stories or, younger, and they've heard things from their parents and grandparents. And I think it gives a really well-rounded perspective of life for the ordinary person there. And so those are all digitized. If anyone just Google the album, The Times and Tales of Inyo County, but there also is a book called The Best of the Album. And so that is available. And then The Story of Inyo is a really great, again, another wonderful book about the time of Owens Valley around when Charlotte was there and giving life to the ordinary person. And I would be remiss if I did not mention that there will be a small booklet that we will be making in tandem with the exhibition that will have works by Charlotte in there, some of her artist friends, and then also an essay talking about her life and her time in Lone Pine in the Owens Valley more.
0: Well, thank you for taking the time to talk with us, Colin, and I'm so looking forward to seeing this exhibit in person.
1: Thank you so much.
0: Thanks for listening, everyone. If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider supporting us by either giving us a rating and review, or by making a financial contribution at our Patreon page, which is www.patreon.com slash historyofcalifornia. We'll see you next time.